man, how do you follow up on listening to God? Like, I've got some words to speak, but, uh, like, what am I going to say? Hopefully, uh, the words that I speak will be uh, directly from him. And You know, uh, Scott says this a lot, and I like the term that um, whenever somebody comes up here and shares, um, and just, you know, in, in not necessarily in a church setting, but shares the words of God, we're just a mouthpiece, right? We're just, we're trying to, allow him to speak through us in the words that we say. Um, so I hope that, uh, that this will be good. Um, let's, I mean, she just prayed, but let me just say a quick prayer. God, I pray, Lord, that you give us humble hearts to hear you this morning. Whatever you want to say to us, not necessarily what a man is saying up here or um, what our hearts are telling us if they're evil, <laughs> but I pray, God, that we would hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's good to be here with y'all, and uh, for those of you who are watching the live stream or uh, later on, uh, I hope that uh, the conversations and, and words that we speak will extend to you and uh, will uh, help you be together um, worshiping God and uh, working with him uh, at your own place. So uh, the last month or so, we've been doing a series on the book of Proverbs. Uh, Scott has spoken a couple of times. Mark Skillen spoke um, once. And uh, one of the things that we've been talking about is how Proverbs, like, there's like 30 chapters, right? 31? 31. Okay, 31. So you could take one a a month if you wanted to read through them. Anyway, um, every one of those verses could be taken on its own. So it's kind of hard to like say, okay, this week we're going to do, you know, chapter 1, verses 7 through 8, 7 through 12 or whatever. But more we're talking about thematic things. And one of the things that Scott talked about last week was that he was going to be kind of focusing in on some of the things that Proverbs has to say about sort of like relationship dynamics within the church and, you know, maybe going a little bit further, but but kind of that idea. And uh, so I'm going to kind of do that this week too, uh, focusing on, on one, one particular value. Um, and this one value that I'll call it right now is, for me, I think it's like the chief among all godly values. Now, one of, one of the best things about God, godly values, because they're all good and they're all chief, but this is something that God has spoken to me for years. Um, I, I am constantly being challenged by his word and constantly being spoken to and, and learning from others about this thing. And I'll let you know as we get to it. So uh, uh, most of you know that I did uh, university campus ministry for about 20 years, uh, the last 10 years before, and then I retired or stepped back about two years ago. Um, I was at Brown and, and College Hill area. And a couple of years uh, before, uh, like I think it was the last year, whatever, it was one of the last years, we uh, went on a leadership retreat where we took all the student leaders and uh, the staff and we took a weekend to just go talk about, you know, things that were coming up and how we were doing, but really to focus in on the idea of what, how should we lead? What, what makes a good leader? And within that first uh, day, uh, we sat down and we said, okay, let's just start off by uh, listing what are the key components that all good leaders possess? So if I had you guys raise your hand, I'm sure you'd come up with all different ones. And we did. Um, We said a good leader is confident. A good leader is decisive. Uh, A good communicator. 
committed to the task at hand, committed to the task, focused, oftentimes visionary, and we had, you know, a variety of other things. But as we looked at all these traits and lined them up with scriptural wisdom, there's one, there's really one essential that towers over the rest, and that's humility. So if you read the Bible, those of you who are uh, Bible readers, you know that the Bible is nuanced. Sometimes it's hard to understand, right? There's certain things that you really have to dig in. And, and uh, most of you know, who've heard me speak uh, before, is that you know that I love to dive into the original Greek or Hebrew text and trying to find some stuff like that. Um, I think it helps for us to do that. It helps to know the historical context and culture, authorship, etc. It's why we study Scripture on our own and together. It helps us understand what the voice of God is saying to us as individuals, to the church, the community, and to the world in terms of, you know, relevance and eternal truths. And then there's these parts in the Bible where you don't really need to dig that deep. Uh, You don't need an explanation. They're bold, they're clear, they're in your face, and you can't explain them away. Proverbs 22.4 says, True humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. Just for sake of what we're doing uh, this morning, just understand like the fear of the Lord is, is more like an honoring him. That's not the part that I'm looking at. But true humility and the fear of the Lord leads to riches, honor, and long life. True humility. So I think this is pretty straightforward, Right? It's a promise. You you can't really misread this. If I want riches and honor and long life, I just need to get humble, right? Okay, that's all I have. Um, No, so I've begun to realize in my life over the last few years and others that I've followed um, and other good leaders that I've read about that it all really starts here. Humility is the key ingredient for leadership. Leadership with humility is sort of like beef stew without any broth or any spices. Beef boiled in plain water might get the job done if all you want is fat and gristle and some protein. But it looks bad, it smells bad, It doesn't go down easily, and a lot of times it may not even stay down. And that's like leadership. Leadership without humility tastes bad, smells like death, and usually in the end doesn't produce good results. Over the years that I served as a a campus minister, I had this conversation about humility and, and these types of things with students numerous times through through every year, you know, all the time we talked about this. Specifically, you know, we talked about getting into Brown or RISD or one of the other schools around here. To get into Brown, we talked about you have to build that resume. You have to have great grades, and that's just not enough. You have to have leadership roles in extracurricular activities and be involved in all these different things just to get in. Or RISD, it's more about build that portfolio, right? But if... By God's grace, you get in. 
um, you're encouraged to continue to build that resume. Get involved. The culture at Brown, I know, that, and I've talked to every student who agrees with this, there's, a, there's this get involved attitude and, and get over involved, which is not necessarily a good thing, but get involved in super, like a lot of things and take leadership and stuff like that. But to sort of like, you know, make yourself known um, in, in some ways. Now, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that in a sec, but... But to make yourself as marketable and statistically accomplished as possible, right? And there's a time for that. To be confident and sell yourself to find that first job or that grad school opportunity or outside of college, which is most of you guys here this morning, to get that promotion or get that bonus or get the next job that you want. And as long as you don't lie, are truthful and truly honest, that's all good. There's nothing wrong with that. However, if that bravado spills over into your relationships and your life, in real life it doesn't work. Humility isn't just the key ingredient for leadership. It's a key ingredient for relationships. It's a key ingredient for life. So I looked up humility in Bible dictionary and regular dictionary and, you know, scripture and stuff. And I think the easiest way to uh, define humility for us this morning is to say what it isn't. The opposite of humility is pride. The writer of Proverbs see these two words as diametrically opposed. Almost every proverb in those 31 chapters about humility is in opposition to pride. They're together. But you, there's black and there's white. There's no gray. It's good and evil. Right? Humility and pride. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Lately, I've been reading this book, some of you may have read it, called The Road to Character by David Brooks, who is not, funny thing, he's not actually, doesn't claim to be a Christian, but if you read this book, you're like, he has to be. Because he constantly refers to scripture and, and the values that, you know, godly values and stuff, so I don't know. But it's, it's, it's helped me think through things. And he talks a lot about how culture has changed even in the last couple of decades. Now, if you are a studier of culture or generations or stuff like that. You know that we call, uh, Americans a lot of times call the 80s the me culture. Everything was about me. Accumulating me, everything for me, 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 me. And uh, that was the 80s. But if you look at it, that really hasn't changed much. It used to be that, he talks about back in the day, you know, um, it used to be that you let others speak for you or let your actions speak for themselves or projected your successes on others. Um, I don't want to go too deep into it, but it, listen to, um, watch football, watch it to the end of the game, and then watch the interviews and see, 
I put two people in, I put them in a box sort of. It's probably not great. But people like Patrick Mahomes, who's probably the best player in the league, right? He's the most expensive. He's, he's great. He's amazing. But he always starts by saying, I credit my line for uh, taking care of me. I credit my receivers for catching the balls I throw to him. I credit the defense for getting us on the field. He says all this stuff. And then only when they ask, keep asking him, he says, yeah, well, you know, we did some good stuff. He never takes it on himself. And I hope that stays now that he's getting paid like $300 million or something. But that's what I've noticed. And, you know, I love him. I have a man crush on Pat Mahomes because he's amazing. But he's so humble. He's so humble. And, um, and there's other athletes where they interview him. And it takes me a couple seconds, and I'm like, I don't like I, maybe I need to deal with this in my heart, but I'm like, I do not, I do not like them. Because it's like, oh yeah, I did this, 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 and this, and this, and they might like passively mention their line or whatever. But you're like, do you know how many people are on your team? If you were out there alone, you'd be dead, right? Like, so anyway, um, you know, this is going to make my message go longer. But I just, those players, and I can think of them in my mind, I've learned not to just dislike them, but I hate their team. Now, again, I need some, something maybe God needs to change me. But I, I wouldn't have hated their team unless they were the, like the Cowboys or the Giants or the Packers. I hate them anyway. But anyway, I, I'm, I'm digressing. Do you understand what I'm saying? People don't necessarily aren't attracted to people that are like, it was me. You know, it used to be illegal, or it's illegal now to when you score a touchdown to take off your helmet. But a couple of years ago, that was the thing. You scored a touchdown, you took off your helmet, and it was like, look at who I am. This is who I am. This is me. I did it. Well, thankfully, you can't do that anymore. Okay. What about success? What about accomplishments that we have? I think it's okay to delight in our accomplishments. Things that you've really worked for, awards you've attained, scholarships you've received, jobs that you've gotten. But maybe when we're thinking about those types of things and how we should react when we are given accolades, is not to be proud of them, but to celebrate them. You graduated high school, college, got that new job, retired after years of hard work. Man, have a party. Just realize that it's not just you who got you here. It never is. Thank, be thankful for the help and sacrifices that your parents or others have made. And recall, ultimately, it's God who controls the outcomes and end results of really everything. Pride is not just this kind of little sin that we all have, because we all do. But, you know, it's just small, and it's not hurting anyone. It's, it's okay. God's not really all that concerned with pride too much. It's a sin, but it's just one of the little ones. No way. It's serious. I mean, it is very serious. I think that every sin or... Every wicked act is really rooted in this thing that we call pride. Beginning at the smallest thing, like, I don't know, you get a better grade on your sociology test. You get an A, and, and this other dude gets a C or a D. 
and therefore you kind of consider yourself, you know, smarter, maybe even a more valuable person than someone else. Or even more seriously, think about the greatest atrocities in history, like the Holocaust, slavery, genocides. What are they rooted in? Pride. Because they were rooted in a people believing that they were better, more valuable, greater, more important than others. Or even, God forbid, more chosen by God than another people or race. This is pride. But even any time we tell a little white lie or download something that we're not supposed to or cheat on our taxes, it's out of pride. Because it's essentially saying, maybe consciously, maybe subconsciously, that my rights or my ways are better than God's ways. Right? Right? Okay. So, like I said, I still struggle, struggle with pride probably more than anything else. I hate it. I hate when I know that that's coming up, welling up within me. And my guess is that some of you out here this morning, you struggle with pride at times too. Just guess. Raise your hand if you don't struggle with pride. Mm. I saw that. I tricked you. Fortunately, we've got this book, Alive with God's Voice, that shows us the way to go and how to stay humble. It's all over Scripture, and Proverbs makes especially clear the end path of pride and the end path of humility. Proverbs 18:12 says, "Before a downfall, the heart is proud or haughty." But humility comes before honor. Black and white. You want what's good? You want a downfall? Or do you want honor? So, with the time that I have left, I just kind of want to look at some practical things of, that many of us have, may have experienced, learned, and what Scripture teaches about what humility looks like. So I'm going to get into a few more practical things. Now, because of my nature as uh, an exhorter or encourager or an optimist, I tend to make points when I'm preaching in the positive rather than the negative. I, I prefer to say, I encourage you to do this rather than I encourage you not to do this. Um, for example, I encourage you to love, love your husband or love your puppy or something like that rather than I encourage you not or I encourage you not to hate your husband or, or hate or mistreat your puppy, right? But it's kind of difficult for me to get around some of these ideas without calling out what I feel like scripture is, scripture is saying is wrong. So I'm going to call some of these pride pitfalls to watch out for. We want to be humble? Let's look out for some of these things. The first is spiritual pride. Now, believing or being convinced that your Christian doctrine and beliefs are right is not pride. But it's important, while we're stuck in that, to be a lifelong learner and listener to those who are different than you. Now, we talked about this a few, like a month ago, about even listening to skeptics, certainly listening to other, 
other books and other people within the church who have maybe a few different views, but also to listen to those outside of the church so that you can grow and you can be challenged in your faith to grow even if you don't, just, don't agree. So we need to be convinced it's, it's okay, but we need to be lifelong listeners, lifelong learners. Um, Proverbs speaks about that in chapter 17. I'm not going to read that. James, the book of James says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Now, I'm not saying be, be wishy-washy in your faith. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's important to take a stand, especially when you're confronted with some sort of pressure to do something wrong, right? You've got to take your stand. But that's something different completely than what we're talking about here. Different than thinking, I'm a better Christian than someone else. That should never be said. And we don't usually say it. Oftentimes we feel it. Another word for spiritual pride is judgmentalism. Matthew 7, a lot of you guys know this. Don't judge or you'll be judged, right? Uh, You'll be treated as the way that you treat others. The standard you use in judging others is the standard by which you will be judged. That's what Jesus says. He also talks about, after that he talks about, you know, Oh, you, let me, oh you've, got, you've got a speck of dust in your eye. Let me, let me take it out. When Jesus says, yeah, but why don't you take out the log in your eye first? Because you're not seeing real well. And then after we deal with the log, then maybe you can talk about the dust. It's wrong to judge that you're a better Christian than someone because they don't line up with your doctrine or convictions. Or even if they do, that they don't seem to practice it as much. Oh, I only listen to Christian music, but they, they listen to some of that other stuff too. Um, I know all the books of the Bible, and I memorize a lot of Scripture. He doesn't. I speak in tongues, but she doesn't. I pray for an hour a day, and he doesn't pray that long. I serve in the church, but she doesn't. Now, these things may be true. You may pray longer than the brother that you're thinking about. But if they make you think that you're a better Christian, that's spiritual pride. And it stinks like death. It brings divisiveness in the church and the body of Christ. And it breaks the relationships God wants us to have. God's not going to honor that. God hates that. God hates judgmentalism and spiritual pride. So the next like three points are all kind of together, but I'll, I'll number them. The second pitfall that, of, of pride that we need to look out for is independence. Let me unpack that because you're thinking, well, you know, we pledge allegiance to the flag and, you know, we sing the national anthem and our country's built on this idea of independence. But let me, let me share the way I, I think God is talking about it this morning. I don't know exactly how it's been over the last couple of years during COVID, but one thing I really liked about uh, Brown 
was the group work and collaborative assignments a lot of you guys had. And I would hear about them, and I was like, wow, that's really cool, because when I was going to college and high school, we didn't really have that much. It was all competition. It was you against the world. And like if somebody else got an A, you weren't really happy for them necessarily. Because that meant that like if it was on a curve, you know, you were in trouble. So, but at the same time, over these last few years of, of um, in my countless counseling sessions, I still sensed that Western American tilt towards sometimes rampant but deep-seated individualism and independent identity. And it uh, makes me think about the state capitol on the road. You know who's on top of the state capitol, right? The independent man. That's his name. That's, that's it. It's not someone saw the independent man. It is the independent man. And I don't want to get too mystical or weird, but I feel like that is still the spirit of this age and location. I feel like that is still going on. Now, maybe not all of us, but a lot of us has been taught at some point in our lives that if we want something done, who should do it? Yeah, we need to do it on our own. And sure, there are some projects that we need to work alone on, maybe some hobbies or like mowing the lawn, you know, I do that alone. Actually, I don't do it anymore, but somebody does it alone. And having alone time, vacations, slowing down for short periods of your life is good for self-care, right? And certainly personal quiet time with God is essential. But when we isolate, and a lot of us would just call it independence, it's unbalanced, and it's unscriptural. Faith is supposed to be personal, but not alone. And again, if this independence seeps into our relationships, we're setting ourselves up for brokenness. Rampant independence is just another example of pride because we think we're better on our own. Well, obviously, we're not called to be codependent. But God's word and Jesus' life gives us an example of something else. It's not a word you specifically find in the original text, just like you don't find the word Trinity. You know, Trinity's not in the Bible. It's just something that we believe because it's like in between the lines. But it's definitely a gospel concept. And it's the idea that many theologians use called this, this term interdependence. Being with and doing life with other believers, encouraging one another, challenging one another, comforting one another, loving one another. That's humility, being open with one another. So no codependence, no rampant independence, interdependence, and then also we do have complete dependence. And that's on God. So like I said, number three is similar to this. But another def uh, dictionary definition of humility, apart from the opposite of pride, is this definition. A spirit of deference or submission. Number three, 
pride pitfall to watch? Lack of submission to authority. What's he going to say? Because of our lean towards independence, it's easy to bristle against this. We don't really want anybody to tell us what to do, right? Like, uh, or suggest what is the wisest course for our lives. You know what? I got it all. I, I hear from God. Well, you may hear from God, but you're not supposed to be just dependent on God, but interdependent on others. And maybe the words that others are speaking are God's words. It's a little bit weird to think about why we bristle against this, because our society has leaders, right, that we don't seem to hate. At times we do, but we shouldn't. Coaches, teachers, bosses, the government leaders. Um, but this is not just a man-made idea, but a biblical principle. There's a covering and accountability that God wants for us, and it's for our good, and it's for our safety, and it's for our success. Again, you find this all over Scripture, the Old Testament, Torah, history, poets, poets, prophets, the New Testament letters, the Gospels, it's all over. A great verse is in Hebrew 13, which says, Obey your spiritual leaders, straightforward, and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. I'm not going to get into the idea of that there are bad leaders and stuff, because there are bad leaders, but I'm talking about good spiritual leaders. Um, because good spiritual leaders and pastors are a gift from God. They are normal, imperfect people. But good spiritual leaders are chosen, are tested, and gifted by God to shepherd the flock, God's flock. Because he or she is not the owner of the flock, but recognizes that God is the owner. And God has gifted them by God to be the shepherd. He loves and leads the sheep. We are so blessed, and maybe you don't know, we are so blessed to have a good spiritual leader, Amen. our lead pastor, Scott. Renaissance is, is blessed. And I could just gush about the things that I've learned from Scott, the, the humility that he carries, the wisdom that he has, um, how he knows when to be bold and when to be kind of softer. He's, he's great. He's not perfect, but he's great. And if you don't agree with me, talk to me afterwards and I'll tell you how great he is. <laughs> and he's not alone. You know, he surrounded himself by a group of elders and a council. You know, back when I was a campus minister, I had a district leader and I had a national leader and I had these local leaders. And it was hard to explain how comforting and not stifling having a spiritual authorities is. It feels right. It does. I never felt stifled. That other people had my back, too, right? It's sad to see how many of these famous pastors of big churches have had these major blow-ups and falls from grace, even recently. And I don't, I'm not going to name names, or I don't know their hearts. I don't know what happened, but my 
first thought always is, I often wonder, who were they submitted to? Who was their spiritual covering? Anybody? Okay. Number four, still going along with the same idea. Uh, like I said, I like straightforward verses, and Proverbs has a lot of them. This is probably my favorite one. Proverbs 12.1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. <laughs> That's pretty straightforward, huh? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. We uh, taught my kids early on not to use words like stupid, but if it's in Scripture, you know? And if you look in the Greek, or I mean the Hebrew, original Hebrew, you know how it, how it translates? Stupid. <laughs> um, now, I don't really have much to say about this, because, you know, I could tell you stories of times I've received correction poorly, and how it really took a lot of time and hard work to rebuild trust and friendship. I think I'm getting better at it. But it had in these times where if I had been more open to those words... I could have immediately healed a wound or immediately restored something that had been broken. So we need to be open to correction. If you think about it, if we're not open to correction, if we cannot humbly accept it, everything else that I've said this morning and everything else about our lives just kind of falls apart. Because if you're not listening, both to God but to others, I'm talking about others, it doesn't work. To be humble at all, we, yes, we know we're saved and we're walking with God, but we have to recognize that we're broken and we're imperfect and we still screw up sometimes. Again, raise your hand if you've never screwed up since you've become a believer. No? no? Okay. Sorry. I'm not using your name, not calling you out. Yeah, yeah, it is hard to hear when we've done wrong. But how else are we going to change? Do you want to change? Yes. Are any of you at the place where you don't want to change? You're good with Jesus and you're all, you got it all together. Do you love knowledge? Yes. I do. Do you love discipline and correction? I'm learning too. <laughs> but I don't want to be stupid. So, okay, you learn that you're wrong. What do you do next? Where do you go from actually realizing that you're wrong or you messed up. And uh, again with point two, but point five, when you realize you're wrong, this is a pitfall. If you realize you're wrong, you don't fess up to it or apologize. This seems kind of obvious, right? You know you did something wrong, and somebody's been hurt or whatever, and you just... Okay, so um, I have never been given applause, like from a... Sermon. We just don't do that in the church. Like, if I finished and then you applauded me, it would be a little bit weird. Save one time. Uh, there was a time when I was a, when I was a campus minister. One week, we were, I don't even remember, but I, was, I think I was doing the announcements, and I was talking about uh, this student involvement fair and the different groups that were on campus. And I, I picked one out that really the basis of a lot, it wasn't a Christian group. It wasn't even a religious group. But the basis of what they did was kind of like, really kind of evil or wicked, or it was just not right. And I started picking on that group. 
And I didn't have all the information. I still feel like to this day that the nature of what I was saying was okay. But the way I said it was way off. Way off. In fact, one girl, I didn't find out until later. She got up and left. Never came back. Never said anything, just never came back. Um, so the following week, one of the, our student leaders, a lot younger than me, got up the courage to say, man, you screwed up. And she didn't say it quite like that, but, you know, I understand what you're saying, but that wasn't... And, you know, our first reaction when somebody says that is either like, what are you talking about? But I think I, something, the Holy Spirit, because she was using the Holy Spirit to speak to me, was like, boom. And I was like, oh, man. So um, that following week, we did our normal beginning in the meeting. And before I got to speak, I came up and I said, before we start anything else, let me just say one thing. And I kind of explained what I had said the previous week. And I said, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And you know what happened? Everybody applauded. Everybody applauded. I had to swallow my pride. But I felt like there was a connection that I had with that congregation that had never been there quite like that. When they saw somebody, and again, it's not me. I learned this from other people. But when you can apologize as a leader, there's something about that. Or if you're not a leader, how often do you hear in this culture, you know, I was wrong, will you forgive me? Or I am sorry I was wrong, will you forgive me? Like I said, I learned this by watching other humble leaders who who's got it, right? There's a lot I like about the language that we use in, in this generation, in the younger generation. We use a lot of words like authenticities. Well, one statement that I feel like we have not gotten back into our vocabulary is like the I'm sorry part. I hear a lot like, oh, my bad. Or maybe more, this is more in, in government and media, but mistakes were made. <laughs> what? Statements like these really discount or belittle the hurt, pain, or anger that someone might feel whom you have wronged. My bad. Oh, okay, we're all good now. No, no, uh. No. Memorize these words. I am sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? I could, that could have been a clap. <laughs> no, just, stop. I'm trying to stay humble here, right? But don't underestimate this. It can really change everything. It can change your relationships. It can change your life. Learning how to apologize. Now, I have like three more points, but I'm going to skip over to the end. If you want to know about what I think about um, how to be right and not feel the need to show it or flaunt it, um, know how to accept praise, I can talk about that, but I'm just going to jump to the last thing. The last one is God has chosen you. If you're a believer in Jesus, God has chosen you. He's given you gifts. He's gifted you with things. And he has amazing things in store for you. 
And if you have a vision for great things in your life, that's good. But if it's stated in language like, even if it's stated with language like, I'm going to do this for Jesus. If you work in pride, God will oppose your plans. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And maybe the best one, we quoted it this morning in prayer. Proverbs 3.34. God opposes who? Opposes the proud, but gives grace, purpose, and power to the humble. So keep believing in God. Keep going to him and take seven minutes of prayer time or whatever you need to get connected with him. Know that he has chosen you, that he's given you gifts, and has amazing things for you in store. Don't lose that. Don't, don't just be like, okay, I, you know, John said that I shouldn't do that. But stay connected to him. And stay connected to other brothers and sisters in Christ. The prayer that I like to say a lot of times, and I was finding myself saying it this morning, was, God, whatever you want. If this is what you want for my life, Show me in your time. Keep me humble. Amen? Amen. Let's stay humble this week. Let's make an effort to catch ourselves. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you an alarm when you're starting to get proud about something. And ask God to show you how to be humble. People will like you more. It's true. Like Pat Mahomes. I might even have a man crush on you. (laughs) Don't worry about that So, amen. It was a great service this morning. Good to see you guys. Enjoy the weather. Amen. Are we done? We're done.